Hello, I am Joel McLeod. I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome back to the 905er. Uh, it's been a whirlwind of a week here in the region and in the province, and it turns out the country at large. Uh, but we are getting into some politicking on this episode, aren't we, Roland? Um, we are for a change. Yes, for a bit of a change of pace. Here. Uh, but we are today. Uh, today we're recording on on Wednesday, uh, March twenty fourth. Uh, the Ontario budget came down, and it was announced that the uh, earlier this week it was announced that the federal budget, uh, the Liberal budget, will be presented on April second, um, which has of course sparked uh, the talk of when are we going to have a federal election. Uh, as I'm sure I don't need to remind our listeners, there is a minority government ser- currently sitting uh, in Ottawa, and they can be toppled uh, at, a, at, at presumably at any moment. TikTok, TikTok, ooh. <laughs> um, well, I mean that, that's how it's presented, presented in the media, right? Like every every time, oh, is this going to topple the government? Is the house going to lose confidence on this? And you know, the, the, such as such. But, but yeah. that's well. I mean, that's that's what sparked what caught my eye uh, today in the Toronto Star was a column by uh, Susan Delacourt uh, titled "The GTA Will Be a Crucial Battleground in the Coming Election: Can the Liberals Hang On?" Um, which I'm not going to read it uh, verbatim, but the general gist of it is yet again uh, in a federal election, the 905 region is going to be a battleground area for the uh, for the for the governance of the of the nation, she goes on to talk about uh, you know the how COVID has driven people out of Toronto uh, into the nine hundred five into the nine hundred five and the GTA, uh, and presumably they have taken their liberal and socialist sensibilities with them and settled in the region that and they will therefore change the dynamic of uh, of the of the landscape. Um, the conservatives are hoping to retake much of the region because they have a leader, Aaron O'Toole, who is from the 905, and therefore that's going to win them some points in the region. The reason why I brought this uh, column up is because this goes kind of to the heart of why we started this podcast, is that nobody pays attention to this region except for an election. And when they do, it's often on stuff like this, just, ooh, the 905 is going to win over, going to be the the heart and soul of, a, of the of battleground center for in the election, yet nobody can talk about an issue that is near and dear to us in the 905. Nobody could say what, if anything, when we go to the ballot box is an issue that is going to, that is, we're going to focus on that. We're going to be asking our uh, candidates to say, well, where do you stand on this particular issue? It's, it's almost like um, election time, the 905 comes out of, uh, comes into existence again for, um, for the media. Um, because we know from the last few elections, provincially and federally, that 905 has a huge influence. And the reason we have a liberal government right now is because of the 905. Uh, the reason we have a, CP, a PCPO government in in uh, Queen's Park is substantially down to the 905. Um, so you know, we, we have huge influence. Um, there never seems to be the next question, which is, you know, what, uh, yeah, like you say, what, what, what is important to this region? But it's a difficult region to take for granted because it's so increasingly so diverse. It's, uh, it's not the monolithic kind of white suburban middle class uh, place that it once was. I'm just going back to this, this column and that, what you just said there 
it's kind of how it's it's being framed, right? It, it's um, you know, it, like it's it's talk that we're we're kind of this again this suburban middle class waspish community that we all commute into Toronto, and that's not the case anymore. Um, you know, we, we're we're very much diverse. Uh, Brampton, Mississauga, easily anybody would know, highly diverse, high, highly um, a, a lot of minorities live in those regions and. I would argue even out into here in Halton, definitely in Hamilton, definitely up uh, around Vaughn, Vaughn, Markham, and Richmond Hill, large numbers of minority, of affluent, well-to-do minorities who are who are really making this country. But again, that means that we're not we're the this the view that the media presents of the 905 is so outdated. We're far more dynamic than uh, than what they get, take us granted or what they uh, describe us as. Yeah, I, I think they. I think the. It, if you could put it into sort of two words, it would be like hockey mom uh, city, you know, that's three words, but anyway, uh, that's kind of how they view us. And it's just, it's so wrong. And it, it ties into it to a story that's going on at the moment with, with, with Peel. Um, uh, <laughs> Mr. Oosterhoff <clears throat> tweeted a wonderful tweet yesterday. I know, I know we keep on going on about him, but he's just, uh, you know, he tees it up and we have to hit it. What can I say? Um, he, he, Tweeted very proudly about how uh, the Niagara region is is you know streets ahead of other regions in in vaccine rollout and blah blah blah. It's like that's not actually something to be proud of because Niagara isn't by no one's calculations is a region that's particularly hard hit by COVID. Um, why would you be proud that you're in effect taking vaccine away from Peel that really needs it that that has led the nation in. Uh, in you know, it's basically now in a third wave. There's no no third wave on the way. The third wave is there. If you live in Peel, they're talking about closing schools. They're, uh, you know, um, Amazon got shut down. And, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and there seems to be, and I, and I admit some of this myself, a, a profound ignorance uh, among many people of um, kind of what. It's like almost like um, what's the phrase the two the, the two solitudes or whatever. There used to be sort of Quebec and Ontario, right, right, right. Uh, and now it's uh, I kind of feel like it's it's, it's Peel and the rest of Ontario, <laughs> uh, and maybe Peel and Markham and and, and York. That that there's a difficulty in communicating between the kind of um, powers that be and the uh, and, and the communities in this region that just seems this just seems to be a divide that means that something like uh, uh the obvious need to prioritize peel in the vaccine rollout has just gone completely by the by and far from being prioritized they've been excluded from the uh, astrazeneca trial uh and, and, you know you have to point somewhat at i mean peel has a bunch of mpps that i was just looking at and i couldn't name them to you to be honest um uh I think they're they're nearly all first time MPPs, and and uh, I don't think there's a single minister among them, uh, and they're mostly notable by their by their lack of profile. Now that's a real problem, um, and actually something. If there is a federal election, the the, the people of Peel should be thinking about that. Uh, you know, a lot of what an MPP does or an MP does is kind of through the back channels. It's representing their region through back channels to their own party and their own leader mm -hmm. to make sure that it is given the attention it deserves. Uh, it feels very much like, you know, those 10 or so MPPs 
uh, are really dropping the ball on all that because uh, Peel is getting screwed. To be honest, you know, I say that someone listen Horton, uh, uh, you know, it was uh, they, they really are just not being uh, properly addressed, and uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that. I feel is going on with these comments about, you know, we expect the 905 just to be the 905 and to kind of line up and march in, uh, into voting, voting booths and act like a kind of monolithic thing when it's not remotely monolithic. Um, and add uh, quite the opposite that there, there are, you know, there are differing needs in, in the different regions and cities that make up the region. Well, I mean, th- we're thinking one a major issue that is always popping up here is development. I know it's your people say, well, it's a provincial issue, and that's true. Uh, a lot of it comes down to you know the planning tribunals and the municipal uh, affairs uh, ministry and, and whatnot, and that, that's true. However, the the federal government for a while was giving back money uh, through the GS uh, through the gas tax to cities for transit uh, usage. How how is that coming along? You know, everybody thinks it's going to Toronto, you know, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, but a big chunk of transit is in the 905. Uh, you know, we're very much underserved, I think, in terms of a good, very well functioning, competent transit system in the region. The second part of that is uh, something that we've been wanting to talk about, and we haven't got, we haven't had a chance to nail down a, an episode, but the CN Rail Hub in Milton. Uh, that is a federal issue. It's been approved by the federal government to go forward. Now, it is highly contested. It's highly debatable in amongst the people of Milton as well. Uh, let's face it, the, the current seat is held by a liberal MP, uh, Adam Vancouverden. He's come out on the record saying he's opposed to it, yet his party's pushing forward to it. How is that going to impact? That's And that's a huge issue, not just for Milton, but for Canada as a whole. We're talking um, a, a transportation hub that is vitally needed somewhere. I'm not necessarily going to say Milton or, or wherever, but it's needed just to get our goods to market. We, we need, we need these, you know, this massive infrastructure building to be put in place to, to get our goods to, to market, especially if we want a COVID-19 recovery that's robust, that is uh, effective and starts lifting us out of the, uh, the quagmire that we're currently in. It's got to, and it's got to go somewhere in the 905. We can't just say, Oh, let's put it off to, down the highway to to London or to Windsor or whatever. It's got to be here in the 905 because, again, we are so influential, we're so important, and we're so powerful to the chances of governance and to the economy of this country. Um, we need stuff like this, like a, a transportation hub. We need uh, infrastructure like uh, Hamilton Harbor or Toronto Harbor that are, are federally uh, maintained and, and controlled. We need this stuff to be functional so that we can start building again in manufacturing again and getting this stuff to market uh and it's just i i, I kind of come back to like the the media is like we you know we, we keep seeing this like time and time again every election oh the 905 it's so crucial look at all the 905 votes the 905 votes and to say that oh well aaron o'toole get it has a good shot at it because he's from here well is he because his party just said that climate change isn't real yet we have uh we, we have we have we have locally uh, Highway 413, which we've talked about on this podcast, uh, that a good many people are opposed to it, not on any economic reasons, just for the fact that they say it's cutting into the greenbelt. It's they, they're looking at it from an environmental lens, and to say you know your party just said that climate change 
we shouldn't consider it being real or we shouldn't, we shouldn't consider it a factor in our decision. Um, you know, you're telling me that that doesn't matter to these people. Yeah. And I, I think maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, it would have been a very different perception. Um, uh, yeah, and it's still kind of perceived as, you know, the 905 is kind of perceived as, as a region that's, that's whatever cohesion it has is kind of brought together by highways. But I, that, it seems very much with the four four thirteen story that that um, that is changing. Uh, that you know, and COVID has perhaps accelerated this with everybody working from home. Um, that the priorities of the region are not just like I want to be able to get in my car and drive fast on a highway, but but you know, uh, protecting the green belt, protecting the environment. And, you know, I, I think the Liberals will be happy to see the Conservatives every day of the week go over the previous election again, make the same mistakes, and try and win votes in Alberta that they've already got. It's the dumbest political mistake you can ever make is try to keep happy the people who are already happy. <laughs> you know? Well, it's like, let, let's, you know. let's be honest, the, the Liberals are not going to win any seats in Alberta or Saskatchewan. I, if they do, I will be pleasantly shocked because i'm just like wow that mm-hmm. didn't see that happening but the the I mean the more you, more you think when the more you look at step back and you look at the landscape of the province or sorry the country out east i'm gonna i'm gonna call it predominantly liberal i, I don't see uh aaron o'toole winning over too many people I, mean, I see a couple seats turn turn tory but for the most part it'll remain as is in quebec again predominantly liberal uh the Bloc Québécois. Right, might be there might be some battlegrounds in there, but it'll be, again it'll be divided between the Liberals and the Bloc. Here in Ontario, rural Ontario will go to the Tories as it normally does. You'll see Ottawa be, between the uh, the Liberals and the NDP. Uh, same as up north, Liberals and the NDP for the most part. The battleground you you might see you might see the, the Liberals will probably maintain Toronto as they normally do. The battleground will be. Here in the 905. I mean, out west, it's pretty much foregone. Like the west will go blue as it normally does. Uh, Vancouver, the BC will be a, mi- a mixture of blue in the rural parts, but you'll see in Vancouver a, a mixture of NDP and liberal as well. But the, 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 the coin toss will be the 905. Yeah. I mean, traditionally it was, it was Quebec that, 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 could, that would win and lose elections. Um, but because the conservatives aren't really players in Quebec, uh, they're always going to be struggling. So it's like, what? Which ridings in the country are genuinely able to flip to between the Liberals and the Conservatives? Um, tends to be, it, yeah, it is. It's pretty much the nine oh five. So, uh, it, you know, and if they're they're coming, I mean, unless we should go through and address the other parties too. But if you're talking about the Conservatives, yeah, certainly it's not good enough to have to say, well, hey, I'm an MPP. I'm from the nine oh five. You know, give me a break, please. Um, that is so not impressive to anybody. Um, and, and if you're coming out with policies that are out of step with with um, the way the 905 region is increasingly looking at the world, which is which is more progressive, um, more transit friendly, more um, you know, less con- traditionally conservative uh, uh, way of looking at things, uh, then you know they're, they're going to be facing an uphill battle. Now, I mean, strange things happen. In elections, I mean, strange things happen in Canadian elections. I, le- I learned um, a long time ago. <laughs> um, I remember in the UK, they always said, you know, the biggest swing you'll ever get between one party and the other is about one to two percent. 
and I came over here and, you know, we immediately had the, um, we didn't immediately have, but we had uh, an election where, you know, huge swings with the liberals were suddenly started in second place and ended up almost in fourth or actually in fourth, I think, um, you know, much bigger is a much more volatile uh, political landscape in many ways. And people have no loyalty to a particular party and willing to just jump ship en masse to another other one. But the list you just went through is also absolutely true. It's like, you know, the, where are the areas in Canada where there is a significant um, shift uh, that, that that can happen? Uh, and there are very few in number. And 905 is probably by far the biggest one. Well, I would, I would also argue the 905, uh, all three parties could be in contention in this region. I, I, I know, I, I know in this, in where we live in, in Burlington, it's traditionally small C conservative, uh, mindset. Um, and we've seen in the last couple of elections, both federal and provincial, just it's slingshot between conservative and liberal and even NDP, uh, loyalties, uh, in some cases. So I, I mean, you look at the history of this of this region. It is up for battle, like, and the people are opinionated. They they ha- they know what they want. And I, I think you know, and I'm, I'm it's not good enough anymore to say the 905 is a diverse, multicultural region, uh, and then leave it at that. The the political parties and the journalists, uh, whether from the Star or the <laughs> the the guys trying to be journalists at the 905er, um, need to actually start. I mean, I mean, we we spoke to Doctor uh, 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 Bra uh, uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, uh, you know, and that was a story about um, how, again, how uh, the um, you know the, the overwhelmingly South Asian community in, in uh, uh, parts of Peel and uh, York that has a fantastic and and, and strong uh, media kind of voice in its own community, but is completely ignored and completely cut off from um, uh, uh, the kind of wider, the wider world. Um, and we kind of need to break down those barriers, I think, um, uh, uh, to, to, you know, to properly learn uh, about what, what these cities priorities are um, and, you know, I don't think neither the media nor the uh, the, the kind of um, the, the the main political parties are, are really managing to do that at present, and I think that's why we're seeing such such foolish mistakes. Turning slightly in a different direction, the other question we should be asking is: Who wants an election right now? Um, <laughs> Good question. Who, 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 <laughs> Who does it, fa- you know, which party wants this election to happen or do they just feel obligated after two years to have one? And who amongst the population having gone through 2020 and, well, what's going to end up being 2020 to 21-ish uh, wants to go through, certainly if they rerun the previous election, which was which was just mind-numbingly bloody awful <laughs> and just the worst election i've ever seen in my life in terms of the level of debate uh, and the things that kind of dominated the news cycle uh who you know are there, there's a temptation to feel that whoever causes the election is going to be the one who's going to get punished because nobody wants this damn thing to happen and, oh, and, and there's really no particularly good reason to do it right now well i mean i i guess that kind of brings it on to uh my, the second story i i was kind of looking at uh it as 
as I said at the beginning, today's March 24th, uh, Wednesday, March 24th, uh, the Ontario PC Tory government tabled their budget um, uh, for the provincial uh, legislature. Now, it's predominantly going to get passed. Uh, I mean, they have a majority in the in the legislature. It's, it's going to get passed, maybe a few tweaks here and there. But as it, as it stands, it's going to get passed. Um, what caught me was the Tories have essentially just given up on trying to balance uh, the balance the books. I mean, if you remember, if you try and remember the before times, uh, before COVID, uh, the PCs were all about, oh, we're going to balance the books and, you know, we're going to fix that blasted liberal waste and spending and all, all that stuff um, that Doug Ford had promised. He's going to, you know, stand up for the little guy and stand up for the taxpayer and all that stuff. And we're going to balance the book and get Ontario's finances in order. Well, they've thrown that plan out the window and it's, it's not, it's not happening uh, for 10 years. So, they're saying, according to the CBC, who's reviewed it, they say that it'll take at least till 2029 to balance the books is what the t- current government's predicting. Um, we are in deficit until then. Uh, most of that is because of COVID-19, understandably. Um, that is the, that, that's what they're blaming it on. I tend to agree with them. I think it's true. I, I agree with them that COVID-19 decimated the economy. We are stuck with, um, we're stuck with deficits for the foreseeable future, like it or not. Um, that's that's the that's the reality. And what I find interesting, though, is I don't see too many people like really bashing that. Like nobody, nobody's saying, "Oh my God, you throw that promise out the window." Um, which, I mean, my my political hat looks just says this has given a lot of coverage, uh, a lot a lot of coverage to Justin Trudeau in Ottawa to say, "I'm throwing my promise out the window as well. We're not balancing the books until." You know, twenty thirty five or whatever. I don't know. Whatever he'll come up with, he's going to table their budget on April second. I wouldn't be surprised if he says, "Nope, our deficit's going to be even longer because of CERB uh, and CRB and all that stuff, uh, the the wage subsidy and all those programs that we brought in." Yep, that's cost us. We're going to be deficit spending for the next foreseeable future. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if then how do how do you go how do you run on that? How do you topple the government and say, "No, we're gonna we're gonna do that," but if you're, I mean, presumably, if you're Aaron O'Toole and you come in and you say, "No, we're going to topple the government on that notion that you're, we we need to get budget, we need to get balanced budgets and all this stuff uh, in order," so we're going to topple the government, which they may do. I don't know, but how do you then campaign here in the 905, particularly, or in the in Ontario when the Ontario government's saying, "Yeah, pretty much the same thing. We're going, we're we're broke. We're 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 going for broke on this." Like how, how are you going to have Doug Ford stand up with you on your on the campaign trail and say, "Yeah, vote for Aaron O'Toole, vote for Pierre Poilievre, or or, or, or whoever," uh, because we need a conservative government in Ottawa? When you know you basically have the, these two opposing mindsets, I, I don't I don't see it, how it's going to happen. I mean, I, I guess you can argue about the relative size of your deficit, um, but yeah, it doesn't. Um Everybody's a deficit spender now. Um, uh, you know, a, a phrase I think I used at some point back in the summer, something like that, is like, you know, everybody's a socialist during a crisis um, because you have to spend because you're in a crisis. You know, um, the Europe spent decades paying off the debt from the Second World War. Um, no one said, well, that's, you know, we shouldn't have been spending on that war to defeat fascism. Um, you know, it was, it was money well spent. Uh, do we really need all those bombs? We, yeah. <laughs> um, 
the, the big question, which, which, which again, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying anything which isn't particularly obvious and that hasn't really just been said about 25 minutes ago by Marcin Reg Cohen, <laughs> which is if you, you know, and I, I, I honestly don't think this is my, any kind of liberal bias speaking, but I can point very clearly to what the federal government spent its money on. I can point to SERP. I can point to bailouts. I can point to money that we've all been getting um, that that kind of saved us. Can you point to what the Ontario government's money was spent on? Uh, honestly, no. Um, I mean, I, I went through what this deficit or what the debts are. Uh, sorry, what the budget is going to deficit over, and there are some good things in it that I, I'm happy that the conservative government is uh, the the PC government is spending money on. One is. Um, Support for small businesses. They're giving more grants and, and went out for tourism stricken. Tour, the, the businesses that are in the tourism industry, great. They need the help. Um, all that stuff. I, I agree that all that stuff is good. That's, I think that's what they should have been doing back uh, at this time last year, but, you know, better late than never, I suppose. Um, what I find interesting though is they are not repeating any of the pandemic money for schools, uh, which is interesting. Uh, they are not. Uh, they're supposedly going to up the 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 uh, long term, uh, not long term care. The, sorry, the the uh, public health units and hospitals to increase uh, uh, care the, care there. Which great, we'll see how that goes. Um, and then the one thing that they didn't talk about was um, Highway Four Thirteen, which we mentioned uh, earlier. They just didn't talk about it. We we don't know if money's been being tabled for it or not, but they just kind of not talk about that. Oh, and the the other notion is they're going to um, work on long term care with hope of adding twenty thousand more beds in four years, and they're going to give PSWs uh, five thousand dollars for a six month commitment, and while nurses can get a ten thousand for a one year commitment. So I guess that's a that's a plus there. Um, better late than never. <laughs> But I mean, like that's that's the thing is that we we you know I I don't know like I, I think the the budget is what the budget is I I am not surprised that we're in debt for that long I'm not surprised that it's you know maybe maybe they didn't want to go too far or whatnot it's just if you're going that much into debt I'm like why stop like what 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 is it that you're going to stop at why why would you look at it and say oh, okay this is where I draw the line because if you if you're going to say basically no for ten years we're not going to balance the books then why why are you picking and choosing where you spend money like why why aren't you dumping a ton of money into how into education to make schools absolutely as safe as possible and, and you know and to an extent that the you know if we think back to uh you know the harper era and the and the you know those those benighted uh, canada's economic action plan posters that went up everywhere um but i mean to be fair to them uh, they um uh, Harper actually adopted at gunpoint uh, the the then Liberal Party's policy of of of, uh, of going into deficit and going and, and spending spending like a divorced dad on the weekend, um, and that was the right thing to do at that time in the wake of two thousand eight to to spend a whole load of money on shovel ready projects on building infrastructure that we're now getting the benefit of of kind of uh, getting people to work on, on government funded projects to build the infrastructure for the for, for for getting out of the uh, of the crisis we were in, well, 
you know, employing people, rebuilding the schools in Ontario to a higher standard. Uh, yeah, there's so many things that this, this province could be doing. Uh, you know, the only the only big scheme they've come up with is is the four thirteen. Which so so yeah, I mean, where, where's the where's the big where's the big ideas in this government? You know, I mean, and even even if there were, you know, you start you get governments that that you may not agree with, you may not like, but you cannot deny they have a central theme to them. I think Stephen Harper's government had that. So uh, when I got out of this budget, looking at looking at it from the top, like the the top lo- uh, or high high level, it's it's a budget that is trying just to keep us afloat. Um, which makes me say, if you admit that we're not out of the water with COVID nineteen, then where's the money putting into uh, uh, education, keeping our schools safer? Um, you know. It, it, you know, are, are we just in a mad rush to get all the vaccines in as quickly as we can? Are we just going to stumble over each other till we get that done? Okay, fine. That's that's the plan. That's the plan. But uh, I, I agree. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't may, maybe it's too early to to think about this budget in that terms of let's start thinking post COVID. But something that we've talked about um, on this podcast is what's life going to look like after COVID. In terms of like our physical cities development, you know, where's where's the encouragement for? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about or I have to in my head better Wi-Fi and internet access. I mean, that's the one thing that we all have dealt with on because of COVID. We're all working from home. We all and how many of us have spotty internet? And nobody knows this, but we're going to go in a bit behind the scenes on this this comment <laughs> here. But Roland and I have talked about this when the car- when the tape's not running. How crappy the internet is. We live in Burlington. It is an urban city. We don't not live out in the country. We live in a highly urbanized neighborhoods. And every now and again, our internet just cuts out because of bad internet usage. And I'm thinking, how is it in the 21st century? This is a, this is a regular thing. You know, what, where, where's, where's the pressure to build up actual internet and Wi-Fi connectivity in our urban centers in the 905? Uh, you know, we if we want to compete against uh, the Californias and the Texas and the New York States and the Frances and Germanys and the the Norways of the world and the Australias and the Japans and eventually the Indias, we need connectivity. We need to be able to plug in and just go. And I don't, I don't, I don't like it's these ideas that I'm not seeing in this budget. Is okay if we're going to come out of COVID, if we're trying to re- resuscitate ourselves, giving grants to small businesses is great, good, wonderful, do it. I agree with it. But we need more. Like, where's the vision of we're going to rebuild into a better society, more more infrastructure that is livable in terms of green space, in terms of getting um, cities to rethink how they rebuild, how they're going to build themselves. Two, the social structures, the social networks in place to catch people as, you know, we're not out of the woods with COVID. Let's make sure that we're safe, that we're going to keep people safe, that they have to stay home. The paid sick days that everybody's been asking about, that they canceled from the get, from day one of them coming to office. That's a huge thing. Like we, we need to start rethinking this stuff. And I don't really see that in this budget. I see, I see a little bit of timidness and I don't want to, we don't want to go in deficit, but we have to. Um, it, it, what did you see as a budget that's going to provide a lot of cover for Justin Trudeau to pretty much say we're right, we're writing off a lot of promises here, people. I, I just don't see the I don't see where um, the, with with a federal election this year. I just don't see 
a a a demand for a a change of government. I don't see a change election on the horizon. Yeah. Um, I mean, frankly, the liberals did everything in their power to lose the last election against a leader who was hopeless. Um, um, the conservative leader being hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it was a truly horrible election, and they still managed to win handily. I mean, sure, it's a minority, um, but uh, well, I mean, I think we have to. You know, the other thing we should talk about is is is, is the inability of the NDP to to make any headway whatsoever in this minority government to raise the profile of of uh, of, of their leader or um, the fact that every time to really like, make any impact. Well, the fact that anytime Jagmeet Singh steps up to the microphone, he talks about provincial issues. It makes me wonder, like, did you did you just want to did you want to run here in Ontario provincially? You, did you want Andrea Horvath's job, and she wasn't going to give it to you? Because every time he steps up to the microphone, he wants to talk about, oh, we're going to give education funding. Well, that's great, but you're going to have every t- all ten provinces sit down with you and and come come up with another education accord, an education accord or something similar to the Health Act. That's a big that's a big deal, and you're going to have to ten different government government stepping out like do you do you not understand the makeup of this country's political systems and political like it's just it's it boggles my mind i i i've said it before i don't think the ndp will ever form government as long as i live <laughs> I, I, I don't see them i don't see them having it in them. i i i don't know i mean i i think i think given the right leader anybody can win i i i mean i I, I think Jagmeet Singh has, has failed to make much of the impact that I think uh, the party hoped he would make. Um, you know, he, he superficially looked like a, a kind of a good candidate, mm-hmm. um, but I'm just I'm constantly surprised by by the lack of impression that that he has made. And like you say, it's kind of it just. You know, when you when you go on about things that aren't even federal responsibility, I mean, fine, you can say, well, most voters don't care. They just want to hear someone sort of shouting on their behalf. But I think people are actually smarter than that. You know, it, it, it just um, insults people's intelligence a little bit to say, no, that's that's not that's not that's not a federal issue. Um, if, you, if you wanted it, you should have stayed in the uh, Queens Park and advocated for that stuff. I he was he used to be an, uh, a provincial MPP here here in Ontario. He was he's from the 905. He was from Brampton. He, he held one of the Brampton seats, and uh, you know, to sit there and say, if you wanted that, if you wanted that job, great. I, you probably could have made a good run to be premier of Ontario. That would have been a very laudable goal, goal, and a, you know, a, a feather in his cap, all that. But instead, he's gone on to the federal level, and I just, I sit there and scratch my head a little and say, you not you don't, you're not talking about stuff that I, I care about at that level. You know, I, I, you, you. You're trying to make a name. For, I know he's trying to make a name for himself. He's trying to, to differentiate himself, but you, you, you don't come across. You come across as somebody who's not informed of basic Canadian civics, and that tells. Well, either not informed, or has decided to ignore them on the belief that we're all so stupid that we don't know the difference. I mean, and I, I mean, there's one element of this that's not Jack Me Singh's fault at all, and I, I feel it's a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, and that is the fact that because he's a Sikh, he's not going to make any headway in Quebec. That's right. Um, that that's wrong. That's appalling. It's a disgrace. But from the NDP's point of view, um, 
the their route to power is through Quebec, uh, sort of d- pulling a a, uh, a Jack Layton two point so to speak. Um, uh, it, it, you know, without that, uh, they're not going to get it in Alberta. They're not going to get it in the Midwest. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess there is a history in the Midwest, but not uh, in those parts of the. Um, they can they can secure uh, of, uh, some, they can secure secure some seats in Ontario and some in BC. I don't really see them expanding much beyond their whatever the twenty-two seats I think they have now. Uh, they're not they're not going to expand much beyond that. Maybe maybe one or two, but for the most part, um, for the most part, it's going to come down between liberal and conservative. And you're right. I don't if the if the conservatives and the NDP team up to bring down this government uh, come April. Um, I don't think I think the Canadian people are not going to forgive them. I don't. Th- you'll you, you'll always hear like there'll be the net, the the people who side and say, oh, you know, Trudeau is corrupt and he's he's the wrong choice. We need to get rid of him. I don't think there's that many people out there. I think there are too many people who are going to remember. You know what? When it, when COVID hit, they came through with money, and I I, I, I think that's just what it comes down to. Safe pair of hands thing, isn't it? I mean, it's like uh, I I. I <sighs> I'm not the world's biggest fan of, of, of Justin Trudeau. You know, I say that as someone who has knocked on doors for that party. Uh, I, I find him so moderate and so, um, uh, reluctant to, um, to really be brave in, in policies that it, I find it frustrating. But, but, you know, then again, he's the prime minister, not me. He's probably a lot smarter than me when it comes to these decisions. And I would probably have got my ass kicked out of office a long time ago because I would have done something crazy like reformer electoral representation system. or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, day one, <laughs> I would have done that and immediately got booted out two weeks later. Um, but yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, it's a bit rich coming from me. I, I, I will probably always wish that people were, were a little bit bolder. However, is he not a broadly safe pair of hands to be, or, or is the Liberal Party broadly, you know, are they so incompetent that we worry for our future? Are, are they so awful, ar- arrogant, or corrupt that, that, that we're worrying about what's happening next week? I don't see it. You know, you've got to have that, you've either got to have that build up of, 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 as, as the Ontario Liberals did ha- had, where they'd just been around for so damn long that everybody was sick of the sight of them, and there was really no coming back from that. Um, or you've, yeah, you've got to have something tangible you can point to that was just a monumental screw-up. And it's like, well, an awful lot of people during this um, COVID experience have had a sort of intimate relationship with government finance in a way that they've never had before, and it's been broadly uh, to their benefit. Uh, so I, I think the opposition would be crazy to call an election right now. I think you want to get as far away from COVID as possible. If I were them, I, I, I wonder if 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 it won't be the Liberals who tried to maneuver the opposition into bringing down the government, kind of almost against their will. That's that's a very true possibility. I I I just don't see it happening. Uh, you know, come April second, there'll be there'll be some moaning and, and complaining, but in terms of an actual. Um, Anything that people can latch on to to say, oh, this is a, this is one step too far, Justin. We're we got to remove you from office. I doubt that it's going to be there. Um, maybe in some people's minds, but not the broad Canadian mindset. I mean, that, that's now I'll, I'll leave the the door open. Justin Trudeau might be like riding high, like, oh, I can do all this stuff now, and comes down with this you know monster of a budget that you just say, okay, dude, you let go to your head. Totally, it could totally happen. I just not sure it's going to happen. 
But I, w- I don't know. We'll see what happens. But again, I think it'll all bring it back full circle. Uh, if an election does happen, it's all going to be about here in the 905. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll be on the record. So all those dumb things I've just said, you'll be uh, our audience will be able to come back and uh, hold me to account for. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave it at that on that note because we're coming up on our mark here. So I'm going to say goodbye for now, and we'll see you next week. Bye. We just have time today to add in a quick thank you to our patrons. Starting off with our 905er consultants, Mike Krakenbush, an international mine of mystery, Hales Borshagin, uh, Shannon Gillies, Gail Laws, Lynn Crosby, Eric, Sean Van der Klees, and Kyle Selms. Thank you, all of you, for your support. It means a huge amount to us. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.